Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you need to work quickly and confidently, you need Grammarly. It's a trusted AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with better writing, and it works where you work across 500,000 apps and websites. 96% of users agree Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com/podcast. That's grammarly.com/podcast. Grammarly. Easier said, done. And welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion, with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello, and welcome again to The Paddock and the Pavilion. It's good to be back talking to you in 2021. We have plenty of inspiring stories lined up this year. Keep tuning in and spread the word about the show. Today's guest is the current Leicestershire County cricket coach and former England wicketkeeper. Paul Nixon. In a 23-season career, Paul scored nearly 15,000 first-class runs and took 889 catches. A dual county championship winner, Paul also enjoyed tremendous success in the white ball game, playing in the 2007 World Cup for his country, and winning the domestic T20 competition on three occasions. I hope you enjoyed today's first show of 2021. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Hello there. My pleasure. Well, a happy Christmas to you. Now, the last time I saw you was actually on television when I saw you on the in the cold、um, in the quarterfinal of the、uh, Vitality Blast. That must have been such a disappointing evening in the end for you. Yeah, result-wise, obviously bitterly disappointing,、uh, bitterly cold, and bitterly disappointing. So. That's you know that's sport. We we've got a young side. We're learning,、um, and you know a couple of little errors cost us in the field. But as a collective, we're always you know very honest with our reflections. And to be fair, we were 20 short. We were 20 probably 25 short、um, on that wicket、um, with a lot of dew. And、uh, yeah, we put our balls under pressure, but our bowlers were incredible and, and got us back in the game really. So、um, yeah, you know not good side. They had two overseas pros. Uh, we had Gareth Delaney from Ireland, who, who did brilliantly for us、um, as a sort of a as a stand-in, and、um, he was a great lad, and he, and he and he won us quite a few games, which was wonderful. So we learned good things to help us, you know, keep our standards high moving forward. But what is it like as a county cricket coach during late December? What are you up to? <laughs> busy, busy,、um, planning new sessions for the winter. 
reflections on the past few weeks that we've been in. Obviously, COVID's taught us a lot of new, new, new coaching ideas and methods and timetables because smaller groups, more one-to-one -one time with players has worked well. Slightly longer days for coaches, but that's 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 not a problem. I've got a good a good work ethic at the club, so that's fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're planning planning the new year. We've got Julian Wood, who's a, a power hitter, coming in. Um, he was at Essex and Hampshire for a while, and uh, he, he brought some great ideas. Excuse me from from baseball, and um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. He's coming in and going to do some sessions, some power hitting sessions. You know, we've... so are the players back? Not back yet. Yeah, players back in for a couple of weeks before Christmas. So they went hard on their, um, their, their speed work and their, their fitness work. So uh, guys are getting stronger, more resilient. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've been some great enthusiasm over the last few uh, last couple of weeks, which is great. And we're just trying to, you know, get the systems in place for the, for the uncoming, uh, for the, for the you know, post-Christmas. And, uh, yeah, really looking forward. The lads are ready to inspire Leicestershire cricket again next summer. Oh, good. All sounds good there. Now, you've just reached your own personal half century. When did you first get drawn into cricket? Sports mad father. Yeah, sports mad father who played football and rugby locally. Sorry, football and cricket locally. And um, yeah, rugby was the only sport I probably didn't really play my dad. And, uh, you know, up in Cumbria and Penrith in the Lake District, a little village called Langwathby, uh, where my dad farmed Langwathby Hall and Crossfieldview Farm with his father. And, uh, and a lot of other workers and um yeah i loved it you know i grew up on the farm grew up on the farm uh always a lot to do always a great work ethic uh always looking for things to do and um yeah you know watching carl united as a boy was my passion and uh, and playing cricket and local sport you know i was very lucky that the village green was a um a hotbed of all ages playing football rugby cricket bulldogs rounders every night whether it was dads, mums, grandparents, everybody was together. And it was a lovely environment to grow up in. And, um, you know, I'll be forever grateful for that. But when did you first put the, the pads on and keep wicket? Good question. I think when I was about 10 years old, I, uh, I played for Cumbria under 13s when I was 10. And we played at Northumberland one night. And it was one afternoon. And I always remember the pitch, it was quite quick. With a young lad called Stephen Brocklebank, he was a fast bowler and he was quite quick at that age. Um, and um, he's from West Cumbria, Brocky. He's only like five foot one, five foot two, but he was quick, big man of curly black hair. And um, yeah, he was very quick. He was a good rugby player as well. He was very quick. And um, the, the the young keeper let 35 buys past. And I think I was the only person that day who never got a ball. And then when they came in that in the evening, they said, uh, does anybody else fancy keeping wicket? And my hand went up straight away. I thought, I'm not going to be bored at third man, final leg, mid-off. I want to be in the mixer. And uh, I loved every minute of it, just um, being, you know, being involved every ball and having that determination to, to, to do well every ball was great. Oh, so it was partly because you're, you're noisy as a child that you like to keep in wicket as well, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was I was an only child, but I had the next door farm to us where it was 100 yards, 150 yards away. Uh, it was Townhead Farm, the Holiday Boys, and there was John, Mac, Tim and Phil, four lads. John, a year older than me, who's uh, my wife's age, Jen, age 51 now. And then Mark, who's my age, who's the farmer. And Tim, who's a couple of years younger, who's a builder. And uh, and Philip, who works at Liverpool Football Club, um, who's the youngest. So there was always somebody around, always somebody to shout at and somebody to shout to in the back garden on the village green. So um, 
yeah, we, uh, you know, I think growing up in the Cumbrian leagues as well, it was a very competitive league. So you made sure that, you know, shy kids didn't get the sweets as it, as it were. Oh, so you're in the right place behind the behind the wickets. But moving on, I've um, located that you played for Cumberland and you played a couple of games. You must have been at school because you'd only be 16, I think, in those two games. Your first yeah. one was against, um, I think, Bedfordshire. But I found the second one, um, which interested me, because coming from Cambridgeshire here <laughs> and having played against myself, quite a lot of the players in this Cambridgeshire side and... Uh, in June 1987, was this your uh, your home ground at Penrith as well? Well, no. I my dad captained Penrith as I was when I was a youngster, and then he came back to our local cricket club, which was Eden Hall. And Eden Hall was literally just a little about a mile out of the village, half a mile out of the village. And uh, there's a football pitch and a cricket pitch. The football pitch was closest to our village, Langwathy. It was called Langwathy Football Club, and the cricket pitch was next to Eden Hall, close to Eden Hall, which was Eden Hall Cricket Club. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it was my school ground, really, because school backed on to the, to the cricket field at Oldswater High School, where I went to school. So Penrith, yes, I, it was a home club as far as my father, captain of the club when, he, when I was three, four, five, six years old, but he went back to Eden Hall, where our village club. So, um, but Penrith, I knew it well. I knew it well. But just for just for listeners, just to obviously re- research the scores of this particular game, but Cumberland batted first and got 96. Uh, a young Paul Nixon was caught. Ian Lawrence, um, who comes from Ely, bowled Stuart Turner for naught. Cambridgeshire then went on to make a massive score of 122. And then uh, Cumberland's second innings, you were bowled out for 47, uh, with Stuart Turner, the, the former Essex legend, getting uh, 10 wickets for 11 runs. Now, it wasn't all bad for you, uh, Paul, because you were you got six of those 47 and you were the second highest scorer. I think I was last out as well. I went back to hook the ball. It was a short ball. I went back to hook it and pull it. He never left the ground and hit my ankle and I was LBW, if I remember correctly. Um, but, yeah, it was really unfortunate. The wicket had got wet at one end and um, they decided, you know, do we play or do we not play? And it got wet under the covers. And Stuart Turner just hit a perfect area. They hit every ball. He sort of hit the, uh, the the sort of wet patch that would last. It was quite a thin, if I remember, it was like quite a thin strip, but it was, was over quite a decent length. And he just hit the right line and got and got that and got the um, the really wet patch where some would fly, some would shoot. I mean, it was like probably playing cricket in the 1950s. But uh, people were so keen to play and mad to play that we did it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a brilliant achievement from him. He bowled magnificently and. Well, it was a good result for the visitors anyway. But uh, I then looked up and you, uh, I see you played uh, second 11 cricket to start with for Middlesex. And your first game was against Leicestershire. Why, why, did, why were you playing for Middlesex second 11? Yeah, I was fortunate really to go down because Cumbria obviously is a minor county and Cumberland are a minor county. I then, you know, there was no Durham in those days to go and trial at. I went to trial at Lancashire because I played for Vickers Sports Club as a, as a 15, 16 year old and um, went down to Vickers. That allowed me to play in the in the Lancashire Federation. I played that down in there for, for for a little while and a few games Lancashire Federation. And um, unfortunately for me, Lancashire signed Warren Hegg, who was a, a class act just coming through as a youngster, highly rated. And then um, I went to to Warwickshire, and Keith Piper just signed for Warwickshire as well, so that didn't happen. Unfortunately for me, playing for North of England, uh, well England, you know England schools, North of England and England schools. I went down 
um, in the trial at the England uh, Festival, the Bunbury Festival, uh, one in Rugby School, one at Truro in Cornwall. And um, Don Wilson, the late Don Wilson, the Yorkshire left arm spinner, yes, yeah. who, who was head coach of the at MCC, MCC yeah. indoor school. Uh, Asked me, uh, asked me if I could, um, if I'd come on the indoor school and be with the MCC and professionals, which I did. So the Lord's ground staff, as we called it. And um, I was down there and I went middle six had, I think it was Paul Downton went to the England team. Brownie went into the first team. A guy called Martin Ollie as well went into the first team. And then the second team slot and I went into the second team slot as a um, makeshift keeper for them at the time. So um, played there for seven or eight weeks. Thought I was going to the Middlesex um, decided not to offer me a contract. Went up to Leicestershire and uh, played against Leicestershire. I think, it, um, was it Uxbridge? I think it might have been Uxbridge, um, not Uxbridge, sorry. Uh, the Lensbury Club, I think it was. Yeah, Teddington, I think it is. Teddington. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I ended up um, doing well against them. Ken Higgs, like me, the, the coach, said, come up and have some games with us. And I went up and uh, had a picture at Grace Road with Alan Donald, Boulder Speed of Light down the hill at Grace Road as a young, uh, as a young wild Afrikaans. He was bowling absolute express then, and he was express then because he didn't have the radar that he had later on in his career. And um, yeah, I got a couple of thirties that particular game, and um, and Mike Turner signed me on the dotted line, which was which will always be you know forever in his debt. Well, you made your debut for Leicestershire in 1989. Do you remember your first victim? I don't actually. I should do, shouldn't I? I remember we played. Um, it wasn't well, I know it's one of two, but you, you'll have to work out which one it is because I couldn't uh, work it out. It's either it's uh, either J- Jason Ratcliffe or Andy Lloyd, but I'll I, say Andy Lloyd. I don't know which one because you no, can't tell on Cricket I Archive. Ask Jason Ratcliffe that because he's a sports agent now and he's uh, he's always ringing me wanting players to come and sign for us. So I must speak to Ratters about that. Well, it was Winston Benjamin was uh, bowling when Jason was out, and um, Jonathan Agney was bowling when um, Andy Lloyd was out. So, uh, but you made a good start because you got four catches in both innings of the, the, your first match. Yeah, I missed a stumping as well. Peter William never ever lets me forget. Um, yeah, great game. You know, we were at we were at Grace Road, we were at Hinkley, which is one of our outgrounds. So the wicket was a little bit greener and it's, it was a bit more seamer friendly. So. You know, you're always going to be in the game as a keeper, which uh, thankfully I was. But you were part of a very successful Leicestershire side during the 90s. Um, I mean, you reached the Gillette Cup final in 1992 uh, and won the championship in 96 and 98. What made Leicestershire such a good side during that period? Um, We were well led with Nigel Bryars in the first place. He was much more of a disciplinarian, very um, determined and, um, you know, much more of a, a NASA Hussein type character and um, yeah then James Whitaker took over and James was was outstanding captain uh, a real good thinker very positive we had some good players you know we had good players who knew their roles their role clarity uh, we got on well as a group we didn't have any troublesome characters we were a very close unit small clubs have to be a close unit if you want to be successful and uh, yeah we had a good attack Al Malali David Milnes were, were you know knocking on England's door all the time and, uh, you know, we got runs. Vince Wells was, was f- fantastic player, came up from Kent. Gordon Parsons was a wonderful bowler who just put the ball on a sixpence and kept it tight. And John Agnew had pace and bounce, all great line and length. Um, Les Taylor was around then. Winston Benjamin, overseas pro, world-class fast bowler. George Ferris, world-class fast bowler who not many people would have heard of. He was the quickest bowler I ever kept wicket to and ever saw for many years. 
you know, it's Hansi Cronier was an overseas pro for us. Uh, Phil Simmons, obviously, when we won with Phil. Yeah. So uh, Chris Lewis was was a high class all rounder. Young Darren Maddy played well. Um, you know, we had Ben Smith churning runs out after Habibib. We, we had a good all round side, a good spinner with Adrian Pearson, and before that, Matt Brimson as well. So we had some really good players who were real journeymen. Probably only Alan Malali who really made it in the in the uh, bright lights. We just found a way of winning and believed we were going to win, and that was a great thing. We had real belief, and uh, we, we were consistent. 1996, we batted first on 10 occasions in 16 games, which is unheard of. And I don't think that will ever be beaten, that particular record. Batting, batting once on 10 occasions is in 16 matches is amazing. Well, you scored plenty of runs as well. You got over 1,000 runs in 1994 uh, when you were runners-up. Uh, but you moved to, to Kent in 2000. What was the reasoning behind moving? Yeah, it was a big big wrench for me to leave. I, you know, things are going well. I was a heartbeat of the squad. I felt like I was a heartbeat of the team, doing you know playing consistent cricket, giving energy, uh, helping everybody else along the way as well. And, uh, and said, so Paul, Steve Marsh is thinking about finishing. We've got a great pedigree and history of England wicketkeepers at the club. We want you to be an England wicketkeeper. We see you as our missing link in our side. I think around the sort of 2000, 1999-2000, I felt we'd peaked as a team. Chris Lewis was starting to behave not as well as he had done previously. Alan Mullally was moving to Hampshire. David Mills was getting a bit older and a few more niggles. And I just felt we'd peaked as a club. We'd been, you know, won two championships. And I still believe we'd have won in 1997 if we hadn't had so much rain. We'd lost 2,000 overs with rain over 20 days cricket. And, um, and Kent were bridesmaids in three competitions. They were second in three competitions. So they had a hell of a team, well led by Matthew Fleming. They had world-class players, a lot of England players. And um, I just felt, you know, they came in, they offered me a contract, they virtually doubled my salary, and I couldn't turn it down. It was a great new journey for me to go down and be with a really successful club, a big club as well, you know, a lot of members playing on a full house in most games, fantastic cricket pitches that they played on for somebody who batted five, six, seven, uh, and keep wicket on. So, um you know, it's important to go to a good attack with a good with a good place that you can score runs as well. So, um, Kent, it was a no-brainer for me. And you soon got recognition as you were for England as you were picked on the England tour to Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Did you think when you went on the tour that you had a chance of playing in the Test side? I'd hoped anyway. I'd hoped. You always hope that you do well in games in between. Um, and uh, if Stewie gets an injury or he's, he has a, a lull of form, but um, you know. Alex Stewart, as we all know, his nickname is the Gaffer. You know, he's, he's been the boss for many years. And um, unfortunately for me, he didn't get injured. I tried to to, to, to drop my bat in the dressing room on his big tour, or his little tour, <laughs> um, nip to the toilet and, and close the door behind him on his fingers, but it didn't work. Uh, Stewart was the model pro. And um, yeah, you know, it was it was just great to be part of an England setup and to see, you know, what, what the standards like, how people went about their business and, uh, and work with world-class players and, um, you know, NASA was a fantastic captain. There's some, you know, some seriously, you know, good senior players, and um, you know, the energy of Darren Goff, who was roaring in day in day out, and Craig White and Andrew Flintoff, a young Flintoff coming through, you know, had, um, you know, was just starting to get consistent then, and um, yeah, I loved it. You know, we won both series, played some amazing cricket, and got on like house on fire, and um, you know, it was, uh, you know, it gave you a real fire and passion in your belly to to want to be the number one keeper 
But that wasn't the end of your England career because um, you had to wait until the age of 36. But you got called up for the England one day side in Australia. England had just lost 5-0 in the Ashes series. So uh, was that a surprise when you got called up? Yes and no, really. Yes, uh, it was a surprise because because uh, yeah, I was 36. But uh, Michael Vaughan said to me when we played against Yorkshire later on in the year, he just said, Nico, stay cricket fit, don't get gym fit. And um, he said, you never know what's going to happen in Australia. So he was already thinking then that Australia had a good side, might struggle in the test matches, the one days might need some more... Um, you know, some more passion, some new energy and some new determination and some new ideas. So, you know, I didn't go to the Leicester Tigers and get fit and strong. I joined on it. Unfortunately for me, David Graveney gave You've been named as the, as the first choice keeper and you're going to be coming out on Boxing Day. What was the mood of the camp like having lost so badly in the ashes? Yeah, very down, very quiet, very sombre. Um, there was a test match left. There was the uh, Sydney test left as we arrived. Um, the lads were just in the nets as we arrived. And, um, you know, I got off the plane and Ian Botham, see Ian Botham and uh, Sir Richard Branson both met me and wished, hoped I had a good flight and wished me well and sort of wished me good luck uh, moving forward, which was lovely. And then, you know, then we started it. We were very two separate camps to start with. While the, while the test guys were still playing, the one days we were sort of off to a, a club ground down the road from the hotel and we were practicing alone and leaving the other guys to it and Duncan Fletcher was very much keeping the new energy together and then we were coming all together after the test matches had finished. Well the um, the tri-series with New Zealand and Australia was a success because we we won the competitions and that earned you a place in the in the World Cup in the West Indies in uh, later that year or in the later spring that must have been something special to play in a World Cup. That's what you dream about, isn't it? As a player, as a, player, as a kid uh, in the West Indies, to go to Australia in the Tri-Nations and, and beat Australia, beat New Zealand uh, in a really tight fought series was wonderful. And then to go to the West Indies was, you know, the ice on the cake. And um, I learned good lessons because I'd kept wicket well in Australia, but I hadn't got the runs. I, I knew we were always 25, 30 short when I went in, and I probably tried to to be too aggressive too soon and took some bad options and, and got out and never scored the runs I'd like to have scored on, on, on good pitches. And um, and I learned that I had to give myself a chance. And um, I gave myself a chance when I went in the West Indies. I made sure I got in. I made sure I rotated before I dominated. And, um, yeah, I had a good I had a good series. I was um, I got us out of, out of jail a few times. I got I played in a couple of tight games that um, won against, obviously, we never got over the line against um, Sri Lanka that people remember. But, um, you know, there was a great game great finish against the West Indies my last game which was a wonderful finish that Stuart brought it the winning runs nine down which which was a really memorable game KP got a brilliant 100 um, so yeah to play in so many wonderful games and do well you know was really pleasing as, as you said you had a successful time uh, both with the gloves and the bat in the World Cup you averaged uh, 38 so when you came back from the World Cup uh, I know you were picked in some of the the early squads uh, you must have hoped to have played a test match when he came home that summer yeah I really was Stephen I thought this was going to be my time I was still fitting well you know even though I was 36 in my 37th year I was still as fit as most guys um, and uh, in fact I was I was I was gutted because when we came back I hadn't been doing any fitness when we were away because we were so busy playing that Alistair Cook 
beat me on a fitness challenge and I hadn't been beaten before then. So it was time to get back training again because <laughs> I was priding myself on my fitness. Um, but they did a winter at home working hard and we'd been playing, obviously. So, yeah, I felt like I was ready to play. I was in a good place. My game was in a good place. I felt like I'd earned the respect of my fellow teammates. And um, it was, yeah, I was ready to play. I was I was looking forward to it. I'd always, I'd always had my ambition to be to make my debut against the West Indies because they were the greatest side when I grew up, the, the West Indies and then the Australians. And uh, I always thought I'd played against the West Indies at Lords, make my debut and score 100. Uh, but um, it wasn't meant to be. I think Matt Pryor did the same thing uh, on that day. But, um, yeah, you know, I look back with fond memories and, you know, disappointed I didn't play test cricket. I think I would have done well in test cricket. I think it was made for me. I know I played a lot of cricket and I had a, you know, I batted that middle order and uh, I had a lot of not not outs. I knew I could have got scored a lot more runs with a lot of not outs. But if I had to bat maybe higher for longer, I might have scored a few more runs. But um, yeah, I've loved every minute of it and um, I loved every minute of my England career. Well, you moved back to Leicestershire for the start of the 2003 season and that really began uh, your uh, success in the, the T20 game. Leicestershire reaching the finals in the first four years and... Uh, winning the trophy in 2004 and 2006. Why do you think Leicestershire were, were were and have been such a good T20 side? I think our players, we never had any world-class players. We had a lot of good county pros who were you know, under the radar. We That game suited us a little bit shorter. Uh, we, we hadn't been as consistent in the longer format, that particular side. So we, we had a lot of guys that were a lot of good all-rounders in the team. And uh, we were we were well led. Um, Jeremy Snape, Philip Defoe just made a captain as one year, then then Jeremy Snape led us uh, in future years. And we had a week off before the main tournament started, and we tried all sorts of things. We weren't anywhere in the championship. We had a week of playing games, centre wicket practice, which is always gold as, as county players know, because you don't you don't get that very often, uh, certainly not at Leicester, and because uh, the amount of games that get played on the on the ground, so. We had centre wicket practice all week, and we tried all sorts from from a, a scripted five or six balls in an over, from the first ball uh, being a slow ball to the next ball being off three or four yard run up to the next ball being a bouncer to the next ball being a slow ball, uh, and and so on. So we we tried everything. We tried being really noisy on the sidelines towards our own players, how it felt against for the opposition, um, and we tried little strategies which we still use now in, in matches that, that were successful for us. So I think having that extra week off put us in a really good place and we were ready and people knew their roles. We'd had time to practice. We were playing other games and in the games. So it just was, it was a, it was a perfect route for us. Actually, we, we couldn't have had it any better. And with the, the T20 game, uh, you ended your own personal career on a high winning the competition in 2011. That must've been something special to to finish on such a good note yeah it was the the, the uh, you always want to go out on a high you know it's very rare that it happens and when it does it's it's very special um we just had to win that game and the guys you know we, we were just peaking at the right time and um andrew mcdonald i remember was playing beautifully as he opened the batting many times and, and batted through a lot um we had some we had some serious players and um the guys are brilliant you know they're just you know it was just desperate to win it for us, and um, you know, I had a lot of a lot of good match-winning 
times myself and then the quarter final like at Grace Road we had, had a decent game we came in and I, I got 30 odd in about 19 20 balls um, and, and got carried off uh, carried around the ground by the crowd um, as we finished our celebrations which was wonderful so uh, I think the lads were just you know desperate to, to win it for us and Matthew Hoggard our captain had been fantastic and uh, you know we had a great spirit in the side we believed we could win from anywhere and we you know when you win some close games it gives you a real belief and we've done that and um, yeah, the finals days to go into super overs to, to win games. And, and um, in the past, we've been in super overs as well. And it was just amazing. So um, yeah, delighted to, to walk off. It was a funny one because I've had so many, this could be my last game. You know, at Grace, it could have been my last game. And then at the semi-final, it could have been my last game. And in the final, it could have been my last game. Yeah, so um, it was, um, it was, I was ready to go in the end. You know, my body was tired. I played 23 years of professional cricket and, um, you know, I didn't want to let anybody down um, at, at the end, especially when you, you've got niggles. I'd had five knee operations. Uh, my knees, I wasn't moving as quickly as I'd like to do. And, you know, the, the brain and the body don't, uh, are not quite in sync like they used to be. So um, your mind wants to, but it just doesn't, the body doesn't move as quick as you'd like to and sharp as you'd like to. And your eyes just start to go a little bit, even though I'd had them lasered earlier on, but my eyes were just starting to go. So, um, yeah, it was the right time to go, and um, to go out on that note was wonderful. Oh, it's a good, good place when you can go when you want to go, and and at a successful time. And you'd played in four decades, uh, fourteen thousand runs, twenty one hundreds, so a very successful career. Was it always your intention to go into coaching? No, not really. I'd always enjoyed life. I'd always enjoyed coaching. As a, I think, I believe, as a senior player, you help the coaching staff out and you and you you be a leader as well and I always enjoyed throwing balls at guys I, I always in, I always enjoyed throwing balls at batsmen who are in good form because you feel from them you get a feeling from them of what they're doing well how they're moving the timers that they're moving the way their hands go over the ball for longer and how balanced they are and I enjoyed always throwing at good players and I really enjoyed throwing at people like Graham Hick on the England tour Marcus Treskothic Nick Knight and um, it was it was great for me that I got offered a coaching gig so soon. Um, I had well, I, I also had a, a little sort of a, a college in effect. I set up a, a college. I gave uh, the opportunity for for kids in the Leicester area who were who struggled at school, didn't enjoy school, who loved sport, wanted to go into into sports coaching or, or sport in some way, shape or form. And, they, and I had like a college um, which I set up uh, in a foundation that I had and. Um, and I think coaching at grassroots level is one of the toughest things. And people who, who consistently coach at grassroots level, uh, you know, that's a really tough mentally and physically. And um, I, I enjoyed that and I enjoyed working with world-class players as well. So I think as a keeper batsman, you see things a lot. You see angles, you see you're close to batsmen, um, you see bowling lines and actions and biomechanics and the energy of a team as a keeper. So I think it puts you in a good place to coach. And then obviously you've got to learn how to coach and how to get the best out of players and maximize them and make them be their authentic selves. And, you know, do my, my, my coaching badges was important to me. And um, I got offered to go to the Caribbean Premier League to coach quite quickly. Michael Holding asked me if I'd be interested in going, uh, which I did, and we were successful. And, uh, and I really enjoyed that short format with Leicestershire. So I had good knowledge to pass to our, ta- our side, our team, our Jamaican Talawa team, uh, led by Chris Gale, who was fantastic. And, um, you know, we had a good side. 
uh, with, with the likes of um, Morlithian, Andre Russell, Shakib Alassane, we had some high-class players. So, um, you know, to be around those guys, Kumar Sangakara consistently, you know, you, you learn as a coach, but also you develop in, uh, you develop in, in some of their winning mentalities as well, which is great. Well, you're mixing with some real legends there. What was it like uh, coaching the universe boss then? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the universe boss is an experienced pro. He, <clears throat> he knows his game, but also, you know, every like every senior player, there's about checkpoints. There's about he likes to to get his uh, to get his balance right. He likes to do his drills. He, he likes to do. He doesn't have many nets, but he has a lot of drill work. So he does no feet drills. Gets his hands going. Gets his head over over the you know behind his hands going down the back of the the back of the bat. And he starts to move his feet, and um, yeah, you know, it, it's just you know, Kumar Sangakara likes to likes a lot of balls being thrown at him, likes to get his one-two pre-ball movement moving well and consistently and early. When he's a bit late, it can be his feet don't move and he gets caught sort of point and square of the wicket. So um, which happened a few times, um, and you know, as a coach, sometimes you have to be brave when you know you're right and players feel that they're right and they're not quite right. You, um, you know, you. You can show them footage and prove to them why you're thinking these things. And, uh, you know, good players to get to that level have a very open mindset. And um, and that's one thing that I've learned that, you know, the, the world's best always want to get better. And that's how you have to be, you know. So, um, yeah, they made it easy for me, really. And you moved back to Leicester at the end of 2017. Uh, that must have been uh, something... Uh, you'd look forward to, to coming back to Leicester? Yeah, I'd always lived in Leicester and, you know, I was still at home in Leicester. I only lived probably as a crow flies, probably three or four miles from the ground. So um, it was it was a dream job to come back to, to come back home. The guys had lost a lot of senior players in the last few years from, you know, H.D. Ackerman, who churned out many, many runs for Leicestershire. Claude Henderson, who was our first, the first ever call pack player from South Africa, Claude had come over from South Africa, he was world class and should have played 150 test matches in my opinion um, you know, Matthew Hoggard had finished myself I finished and um, you know, it's tough then when you lose all your senior players at once, you've got to rebuild and Andrew McDonald had, uh, had brought in a lot of senior players from other counties a slightly short term strategy that had just passed and just gone over the hill and it was time for a change and um, Pierre de Brun came um, put some great systems in place I think it was a little bit of a clash of one or two personnel and um, and it didn't quite work and Pierre was a good man and, and you know loves the game and a very good coach um, but personalities didn't work and uh, I got the opportunity and um, you know I think um, it was the right place at the right time for me um, lest they were bottom of everything and needed some fresh ideas some fresh energy we got a new young coaching group together. John Sadler was there, who I'd played with at Leicestershire. He'd come back from Derbyshire. We got Matt Mason, the bowling coach in Graham Welsh, had gone back to Warwickshire. Um, and, and Mason and Sads, we you know put some great systems in place and got some good discipline going again at the club. And um, you know I sort of sat back for my first sort of year really, and, and just had to analyse and not jump in. I had to analyse of what we had, who was doing what, <clears throat> who took responsibilities for, for different things, who enjoyed doing different things and who didn't enjoy different things. And um, and, and as we've grown, uh, Matt Mason's went back to Mason went back to to Western Australia, to Perth, uh, to coach out there where he's from originally. 
um, and uh, Tom Smith came in. We got Tom in from from Lancashire, the ex-Lancashire captain, a fantastic one-day cricketer, um, who, who was a brilliant young coach as well. We heard great things. Tim Boone actually mentioned uh, Tom Smith to me, and um, we went to meet Tom and got on like a house on fire. Knew he'd bring good things. Um, and then um, John Sadler decided he wanted to, to go and have an opportunity at, at Northamptonshire because St- David Ripley was involved in the 100. He wanted to be involved as a first-team head coach. So he felt they weren't going to get that at Grace Road. Behind myself, a young coach, so he went to North Ants. Um, and um, <clears throat> fortunately for him, the 100 was cancelled this year, but um, hopefully he'll be you know, a head coach at some stage. So, um, you know, it was great that Tom came up into to my assistant coach and then we got a young man, uh, Dips Patel, a brilliant young Asian coach who's got, you know, passion through running through his veins. He's got an amazing work ethic. He went into our uh, second team coach. So we've got a young work, a young working team. Uh, we're all learning as coaches, and um, you know we've got we've had some good success in the past, but we're ready to kick on again and have a, a really successful journey back to top flight cricket and, and winning competitions. And you're confident that Leicestershire with this young side can can go places, yeah. I really am. I really am. Um, this team reminds me a lot of the 96-98 vibe. A smaller squad, which we've just added to. We've got, <clears throat> we want to be the hardest working, most caring cricket environment. We are now um, averaging uh, over 20 in our, in our um, yo-yo test, which, which when I arrived at the club, we were about 17 and a half, 18. Um, now we've gone through the, the gears in our fitness, which is, will give us real um, determination and drive for for getting through and resilience getting through the last you know days of games longer spells bigger scores um, being fitter and stronger and more mentally tougher so um, that's gone really well we've had some with COVID we've had to change our structures to have smaller groups and longer days which has worked well we've worked with speed coaches to get the guys quicker sharper faster more agile and we've got um, our recruitment. We've got a, a guy called Dan Weston, who's a world-class analysis and uh, a moneyball guy who's got all the algorithms on computers that we employ to to make sure that we that we can attract um, the very best talent from around the world um, to slot into our um, into our particular profile of team that we want to create. And we also do a lot of personalised profiling of players uh, with a company called Innermatrix, who are the best in the in the field, in my opinion, um, so that we understand our players' learning, we, we understand their values, we understand their subconscious thinking uh, and their behaviours. So we get on we get on well much quicker. We know people's learning styles, who needs more time to adapt, who needs to do things quicker, um, who's about consistency, who's about trying things, and all these you know mixed together. You know these downtimes in Christmas holidays, as we are now. You know I've got a call a management meeting. Tomorrow morning at 10:30, um, and we'll and we'll go through how the last two weeks <clears throat> have gone, how we've communicated, how well how we're going to get better, um, what's you know a bit of a stop-start continue model, and uh, and how we're going to move forward. So you know it's um, you know it, it, the work's never done. You know you want to be successful, you, you you have to put the work in. This is very different from when you first started playing with all this data and analysis. Are you going to be putting up these? Uh, uh, cards like uh, the England team did in the uh, in the one day series. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the press have just caught onto that stuff. I mean, to be fair, teams have been doing similar things for for a few years now. So um, yeah, you know whether it's 
certain coloured cones that you have in your dugout that people haven't noticed yet or on the balcony. Um, you know, I'll be watching now. Yeah. Yeah, there's different things that people do. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of matchups going on. There's a lot of there is a lot of analytical data that's out there. But again, some people like it and some people don't. You know, we have disc profiles that, that some people can't get enough of it. Yet there's on the disc profile that we use as well. One part of the crossover that we use, some people hate it. Uh, some people like to see their own their own um, bowling and batting, and some people don't. So, you know, we are, as a coach, you have to have all the tools. When people want whatever they want, um, and, and you can help guide them towards things. Of course, ultimately, they they you know they manage they're the managing directors of their own company, as Jeremy Snip, our old captain, used to say. Um, you know, they're the managing director, and they have to lead it. And um, you know, with young players, sometimes you have you, know, you have to lead them sometimes. Uh, but uh, we're getting a nice balance now, and I think we're really seeing a nice a nice shift of belief and a, and a shift of skill set. So you think that Leicestershire can do well in four-day cricket as well as the the one-day cricket going no forward? Question. Yeah, that's that's our goal. Absolutely, we've 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 been very proud very proud of our heritage of producing England cricketers over the years. I believe we've provided a, as many England players over the years as any county. And, um, you know, we want to do that. We want to make sure that we're strong, back strong again in four-day cricket. Uh, we had a wonderful win against Lancashire last year um, at Worcester, uh, which was a bit random because of COVID. But, um, we, you know, we had some good performances. We, we should have beaten another couple of sides. But, um, you know, it, it's work in progress. And uh, we've got, you know, short-term goals. We've got three, five-year goals as well, uh, which we want to achieve. And we're on the way to doing that. And uh, Paul Nixon, are you yourself looking at some point to uh, coach in some of the franchises, the IPL, things like that? Oh, that would be fantastic, of course. You know, I think having I mean, any world-class um, you know, franchise is, is a great thing. I've been very lucky to, to coach in the Caribbean Premier League and we were successful there. And then we were quarter-finalists in the um, quarter-finalists in the, uh, the Bangladesh Premier League this time last year I was in Bangladesh and uh, yeah with the Chattagram Challengers we had a we had a, a wonderful team that um, just got pipped at the post Andre Russell smashed us around the ground to win the game as he as he often does uh, which he did over there to win the competition as well so um, yeah I enjoy that I enjoy the um, the franchise cricket you learn a lot you meet a lot of good players who you can hopefully get relationships with to to bring back in the future to Grace Road um, and um, yeah I mean IPL will be a dream of course so. Um, you know, you keep being successful. I think if you're successful at home, then uh, opportunities will open up, of course. And of course, we've got the hundred again next season as well. So, which uh, hopefully will go well. Yeah, exciting format. I think everybody's looking forward to it. It's something that we've. I think. I think you know, that anything that brings money into our game and brings a new vibe, a new, a new dimension, then we have to embrace that. And um, you know, we are certainly seeing the. The fruits of that of that money that, that comes through into county cricket and hopefully it'll go through to grassroots level as well so um you know billion billion pound tv deals um you know our game needs that we'll see what it does and how it's attracted the world's best in in football and um, that's what we need in cricket also well thank you very much for those thoughts and thank you very much for being on the paddock and the pavilion uh the best of luck to leicestershire for the 2021 season and hopefully we'll see crowds back at Grace Road and, and cricket grounds around the country. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, that's that's that'd be great, doesn't it? I mean, these um, it feels so strange right now with all the guys you know walking out to play in 2020 matches 
where you can hear the ball land and then you've got to go and find it and people going right <laughs> a bit left of it um but yeah getting the crowds back we were wonderful and um yeah thank you for your well wishes thank you yeah well, so actually if um Going back, if you'd have been playing this season, we'd have certainly heard your voice in, in the crowd, wouldn't we? Or on the TV. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember as a boy, one of my first memories actually was the late, great David Bestow. My dad took me down to, um, down to watch Yorkshire versus um, Warwickshire at, uh, at Headingley. And uh, I remember Bluey's boy, voice booming around the ground before Johnny was born. I always remember that. And uh, yeah, maybe there's a bit of bit of me there as well in, in, in David Best, I've been that drive to do well. And uh, yeah, he was, I always remember him very, very, um, you know, very strongly. Well, thank you again. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pad. Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.